And so within framework, there's this concept of trustworthiness and how you measure and how you manage the risks and the benefits associated with those trustworthy characteristics with the ultimate objective of establishing what we call a risk-aware culture. Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter Hyde. Our broadcast today comes from our most recent MetaStrategy Digital Symposium, and the topic we covered was the future of secure, responsible artificial intelligence. I spoke with Martin Stanley, the Strategic Technology Branch Chief of the Department of Homeland Security's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency, or CISA. Martin also leads the development of artificial intelligence strategy for the agency that has an appointment in the Office of Emerging Technologies at the National Institute of Standards and Technology, or NIST. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Well, certainly, whenever we talk about innovation generally and artificial intelligence more uh, specifically, the topic of cybersecurity needs to be uh, a portion of, of what is contemplated as well. And as uh, the, the topic of Gen AI cybersecurity became much more prominent in the early portion of this year, I reached out to some of my friends who are the authors of the NIST cybersecurity framework. And when I, when I caught up with them, uh, I, I asked them, you know, about what their their thought process is, how that's evolving, and they indicated the person of greatest influence in that space is Martin Stanley, and I was very grateful that they introduced me to him, and he joins me here today. Martin's the chief of strategic technology branch and leads the development of artificial intelligence strategy for the Department of Homeland Security, Cybersecurity, and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA. Uh, Martin previously led the Cybersecurity Assurance Program at DHS and the Enterprise Cybersecurity Program at the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. He's also held multiple positions in the private sector as well. Martin, welcome. It's great to speak with you today. Thank you. Um, boy, what a great uh, panel. Uh, Filippo and Vish, I think, really nailed it and talked a lot about um, something that will come, at, come about as we talk about risks, which is the use cases and how those use cases really differ and require a lot of different thought. I'm interested to see what the poll results from this. I suspect it's going to be all over the map based on what people are concerned about and what what things are actually using AI for. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see that as well and, and, and share your, your excitement for the content just covered. Well, as I mentioned, uh, you are the, uh, the Strategic Technology Branch Chief of CISA. You're also on assignment to NIST, who I mentioned before, the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Uh, and there's a precedent in the partnership between these organizations, uh, such as the Federal Information Security Management Act of, of 02, which, which uh, had uh, touch points between the organizations. I, I wonder if just take a quick moment and talk briefly about the rationale for your secondment and the value in the partnership between these bodies. Sure. So I, I think you really nailed it. And I think that's the underlying theme for this entire conference is the idea that that there's cybersecurity and a lot of collaboration around cybersecurity and and um, you know going back many years across the federal government but in particular between NIST um, and CISA and we're seeing the same thing with artificial intelligence and there's so many different uh, federal initiatives right now we could go on and on and talk about in in depth about any one of them but we'll try and hit on as many of them as possible but I think one of the main uh, and, and most important points out of all this is there's a longstanding effort. None of this is new. This work's been going back five, six, seven years on how we're going to manage artificial intelligence and how we're going to deploy new technologies in a responsible way. And so I think we'll be able to talk a little bit about that and about our partnership. I am on assignment to the Trustworthy and Responsible AI Resource Center at NIST working for Elham and, and uh, Reva, who are the authors of the NIST AI Risk Manager Framework. 
And also back at my home agency, CISA, we've done a lot of work to flesh out um, specifically what CISA is going to be doing in the AI lane. We have published an artificial intelligence roadmap, which is available for folks to take a look at. And then at the department level, there's been so much work done with the announcement of the first um, chief artificial intelligence officer, who's the DHS CIO, Eric Heisen, and then a lot of materials that have been published, in particular, a privacy impact assessment, which is publicly available, again, on the DHS website. Um, it's a privacy impact assessment for the department's use of generative AI. And I think these are the kinds of leadership uh, steps that we're seeing across um, many of the departments and agencies. I'm currently in the process of reaching out to all the chief artificial intelligence officers, which is a requirement um, in the artificial intelligence executive order uh, in order to you know, talk with them about what their needs are. And what we're finding, Peter, is that you know, per the previous panel, there's a lot of communities of interest that are going to be evolving around particular use cases. And I think they're going to be working together to identify, uh, to manage and to measure uh, risks uh, associated with the adoption of artificial intelligence in their mission. You know, it's great to hear the the degree of uh, emphasis that this this topic is being given, and the cooperation that's happening across multiple parts of the, of the government, with naturally a lot of consequences to the private sector as well. We'll get into some of that in a bit, but I want to talk about the AI AIRMF, the Artificial Intelligence Risk Management Framework. Uh, talk a bit about its substance and how that's evolving. Sure, great question. Um, so the Artificial Intelligence Risk Management Framework came out of two executive orders from the previous administration. Um, one of those executive orders was around preserving U.S. leadership in artificial intelligence, and the second, our, uh, the second um, EO was around or the trustworthy use of artificial intelligence in the federal government. And the directions to NIST were to identify what were the best areas to wade into the standards, what could be of most use to the community, and then from a trustworthiness perspective, this concept of trustworthy AI and responsible use of AI uh, really was, that's, that's the origin of it. Within the artificial intelligence risk management framework, there's a couple of important concepts. I think the first thing to communicate to the group, and we've heard it already, is it's really a benefit risk framework in the sense that we're thinking about what are the opportunities and how can we leverage technology in a way that's transformational while at the same time doing it in a way that's going to minimize the kinds of regrets that we might have. And so that's much different than some of the other risk frameworks that we're familiar with in particular, you know, from, from, my, from my world of cybersecurity, where we're really mostly just worried about vulnerabilities. That said, um, the AI risk management framework is consistent in its use of language around, you know, risk, uh, risk language. So we're talking about threats and impacts and likelihoods and, you know, that kind of thing, which is very approachable. Um, trustworthiness is a uh, central theme within the artificial intelligence risk management framework, and it's um, comprised of seven characteristics, which line up very closely to the things that were listed in the poll. And so within the framework, there's this concept of trustworthiness, these seven trustworthy characteristics, and how you identify and how you measure and how you manage the risks and the benefits associated with those trustworthy characteristics with the ultimate objective of, of establishing what we call a risk-aware culture. So um, it's a cultural transformation, which means we're not going to manage or eliminate risks completely. What we're going to do is we're going to figure out how, how we live with them, how we, how we monitor them, how we understand them. 
uh, and how we manage uh, all the people that are involved in interacting with the systems as well as just the systems themselves. So, you know, what we're used to is these systems and data as objects. But in this case, we're looking at the people as well in, involved in the, um, in the engagement with these systems, because at the end of the day, that's what the risk management framework is about. It's about protecting people um, and realizing the benefits of technology for people. I really like that that framing across the entire response, but the risk aware culture and frankly, the 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 awareness that that some risk is appropriate. Uh, you're not innovating if you're not taking some, but also making sure it's a cultural attribute that the organization uh, recognizes the risks that are being taken, um, you know, has plans if if uh, the worst comes to pass and so forth. I, I think the the focus on the cultural element of this, as it is often the the people components uh, that actually can can create the risk, as is an important area of emphasis. Um, well, why don't we, uh, Addison? If I could trouble you to pull up the the poll results, let's have a quick gander at those. So, what do you see as the largest AI related risk to your organization? And boy, uh, Nostradamus uh, Stanley here um, uh, predicted it correctly, as it is across the map. We've got, uh, let's see, here twenty six percent saying data privacy, uh, nineteen for uncontrollable AI and AI enabled cyber attack, uh, cyber attacks. Uh, all told, we have uh, five different categories and double digits represented across the people who responded to this. Thank you so much for for all of all the folks who responded, and uh, really indicative of the fact that there are risks in a variety of different ways, and obviously different levels of of uh, uh, or in a variety of areas. In fact, to continue to monitor as well. Uh, obviously, in some ways, you kind of predicted this. Uh, any other further reactions you have, Martin, upon viewing it? Well, I, you know, I, so so just to, to the respondents, first of all, thank you. Thank you for being, um, you know, honest and, and, and providing a great prop for the conversation here. But, um, you know, you shouldn't feel, you know, uh, bad or lost, you know, as a result of that. The, the framework actually provides a construct for managing against all these different risks, also in the context of use with different kinds of stakeholders uh, being uh, being engaged and involved in the process, and that's another big theme of the at risk management framework. Is in order to, you know, elicit and to identify these risks and these concerns and potential impacts and harms, and the like, as well as opportunities, we have to cast a much wider net than we normally do with with IT. And I think we heard about that in the previous panel about talking, you know, more broadly um, with stakeholders, with users you know, testing systems and evaluating systems while uh, while they're being used by actual people and users and understanding uh, potentially the way that, you know, recourse and redress needs to be built into the operational paradigm um, for those systems. So I think, I think um, you know, it was, a, it was a great poll and I think it was very uh, informative to the group to understand that when uh, we're talking about risks in these larger groups, Folks may may represent a particular risk and have to be educated on some of the other concerns that are also there. And so that will will then further the discussion around risk tolerance and what the trade-offs potentially would that would be considered. And then to get into the last area, which is one of, of really, you know, of basically, you know, emerging basic science at this point is how we measure these kinds of um, these kinds of risks, we don't typically have that capability today. We're used to using, uh, you know, our, our, our 
our fixed controls, you know, our static measures that we that we use over and over again. And in the context of artificial intelligence risk management, if we're trying to be risk aware, we can't um, we can't solely rely on these 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 fixed metrics. Yeah. As you, as you um, as I mentioned at the outset, you've been in the private sector as well as the public sector, and and a uh, few people who have joined us today would be surprised about the implications of the work that you were doing on the private sector, as many of them are using NIST frameworks of various kinds, the cybersecurity framework, perhaps most prominently of all. But as you think about the public-private implications um, to the work that you are doing, any interesting conclusions um, that, that you have? Well, so so first of all, there's been a tremendous uh, cooperation between uh, public and private, and that cooperation continues. The AIRMF itself uh, was produced out of multiple public working groups and open comment periods. Uh, all of the standards activity, all of the federal um, the federal policies. There was recently a OMB memo that was a draft memo around use of artificial intelligence at federal agencies that was open for public comment. Uh, pretty much all of the actions that are involved in the artificial intelligence executive order have open comment periods. One of the main functions uh, of, uh, of the, our, our work at NIST is to run this generative AI public working group to develop a specific AI RMF profile uh, focused on generative AI. That is, uh, th there's probably people on this, on this call attending this conference who have been participating there, and we really appreciate all of that help. There, it, just go, it just goes on and on and on how much public-private partnership there is and a recognition that we have to do this right. But more importantly, um, you know, we have to do this. We don't have an option to say, no, we're not going to innovate. We're not going to adopt technology because our stakeholders are going to use it. And we're hearing about it, you know, here and, you know, in the previous, um, you know, in, in the previous panel, we're going to hear about it more today. So we have to become good at um, whatever our, um, you know, however we support and we, um, you know, assist the community, we have to be good at that. And that does not mean uh, that that will not allow us to to avoid uh, at the risks associated with with this technology. And you also, I, again, as somebody who ha has experience in private and public sector, talk more generally speaking about the advantages of pursuing some of the, these ideas in a public sector, uh, in the public sector. And, and I, I, I say this especially as I think there's there are many who would uh, say that so many of these solutions are best drawn out through the marketplace and through the through the private se sector, private enterprise. T talk a, a bit as somebody who's been so immersed in in driving really remarkable progress associated with this, of the advantages of pursuing some of these ideas in a public setting. Sure. So, I, I mean, I think there's there you need you need all you need all sides and all perspectives on this. And obviously, the uh, private sector has driven innovation incredibly. Uh, where the the public sector can come in is, you know, specifically in ways which NIST has with the AI risk management framework. The AI risk management framework is intended to manage the risk of harms to people, to organizations, to ecosystems, to people, and, you know, and planet. And that's that large group of stakeholders that are involved in um, in using and engaging with artificial intelligence systems. And so we have to ensure that we're looking after all of those people. And I think the public sector is the right place to do that. Um, and, I, and you see that again and again, but also it requires a lot of collaboration 
and a lot of input from all, all the right stakeholders to make the right kinds of recommendations and, and decisions around that. And I will qualify all this with NIST and CISA both, you know, my home agency uh, are not regulators. And so, you know, nothing that we're talking about here is a regulation. These are voluntary frameworks that are, um, that are uh, rights-based and, and, and um, you know, risk-based. Risk well, Martin Stanley, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for the great and very important work that you do now across multiple institutions. You mentioned in the conversation the resources that people can leverage, both through DHS's website, um, also at NIST. This is not the first time that I will recommend uh, to this cohort that they uh, follow your recommendation and, and make their way to both sites to read about some of the great work that you and your team are doing. Uh, but we're honored to include you in our conversation today. Thank you so much. Thank you. We're available to assist. So please reach out if you have any particular questions. We're happy to uh, meet individually um, with, with organizations as well. That's wonderful. What, what a generous uh, offer that is, Martin. Thank you again.